Welcome to Misty Night, a podcast exploring the doubts and concerns that arise around Christianity. I'm Nick Petkoff. I'm Andy Yetter. Whether you're a skeptic or a believer, we invite you to join us on this journey as we navigate the misty nights of doubt and uncertainty. Faith isn't about your ability to muster a belief out of nothing. It's our hope that through the process of exploring doubts, asking questions, and searching, you'll build a personal faith that is tangible and reliable. So let's take another step on that journey right now. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Misty Night Podcast. Thank you for joining us once again. Uh, I am joined, as always, with my good friend, Nick. Always glad to be here. Are you ready to talk about a fishy situation today? Oh, very nice. (laughs) I'm all excited to engage in the most popular VeggieTales story of all time. (laughs) Whale, whale, whale. Look what we have here. Sorry, I have all these puns I have to get on my system. I know for me, like, I can say this about every single episode we've had thus far, and I probably will continue to say it in every single episode so far, but I'm also excited to get into Jonah. And this is actually be one of the first times where we get more into a whole book instead of more of a specific topic or idea. So it's a little bit of a different pace for us too. Yeah. And I think that's a good point to make, which is that, you know, there's more to Jonah than just a fish. There's a whole book and it's a short book. But there's a whole book and there's lots of good stuff there. So I think we will talk a little bit about the fish today, but I think there's a lot of other really good material we should be digging into that I'm really excited to talk about. So first off, for anyone that doesn't know, right? Like, so Jonah's a book in the Old Testament and it follows uh, the prophet Jonah as he is given a mission by God to go and tell the city of Nineveh to repent, to kind of prevent their... Um, impending destruction and he doesn't want to do that and there's a fish involved and and we'll say it comes full circle though where jonah eventually does comply shows up in nineveh preaches the city converts if you haven't heard of the story it, it actually is a relatively short read just to open up a bible and go through it so highly encourage you to do that just to get the full context pause the podcast right go let's go read it that's an astute recommendation for you know any of these kinds of uh we're going to study the book of the Bible, probably should read the book ahead of time. And it's, it is an easy read too. It's kind of like more one of those old Testament ones where it's kind of reads like a story. And it actually makes it really unique that way. Like every other property you read in the Bible, it's about visions and the work, but this one's much more about like event and life crisis, which makes it really unique. And I think why Jesus references it so many times in the new Testament too. Interesting. That's also why a lot of people will look at it with a little skeptical eye. Um, right. You'll see the kind of difference in tone and how it's written. And a lot of people will kind of say, hey, this has to be fictional. It's written later. And there's a list of reasons people will give. Or some people will say it's an allegory. Or some people will say it's, you know, any number of other kinds of uh, literary forms um, mm-hmm. rather than just, you know, a factual account. Yes, that's a really good point to make. I should just say there's not exactly a contention of if Jonah was a real person or not. That's pretty easy to find that. I mean, the prophet Jonah's mentioned in second Kings and, and a couple other places. And so no, Jonah's a real person. It's more about this particular story of his running away and the big fish and everything, whether or not that really happened can tend to be a point of uh, debate. Yeah. And, and, and it's not a recent thing either, right? Like this is like, even like St. Augustine, like in the fifth century, talked about mm. how the story of Jonah was, I think the quote unquote was a laughing stock of the pagans. Uh, Whoa, that's a quote. Yeah. Oh man, that's pretty strong. <laughs> <laughs> Which, because it, it just, it, it, it invites a healthy amount of skepticism 
um, and and does and it just because of some of the kind of almost fantastical stories being told. I think it's exciting just to kind of dive into all the details, though, and really kind of dissect, you know, how hard are some of these things to believe? Why are they hard to believe? This might be a good point to mention as well. Um, when I had been going through school and the school I went to happened to be a Bible college, even though that wasn't my major, wound up in a lot of those classes. I never would have thought Jonah would have been a point of contention, but it totally was. And in some of those classes, it came down to like, well, if you don't believe the story of Jonah and the big fish, then you don't believe in miracles somehow. And that, you know, you just have such a narrow and shallow view of the story of the Bible and God's power and everything. And I just want to put to rest that that's not the case. As Christians, or I'm assuming most of us here listening to Christians, maybe not all of us, one of the biggest things we have to believe is that a guy died and then resurrected and took on the sins of the world. And that's a miracle, too, that we believe in. Yeah. If you have a hard time buying into someone living in a fish for a few days and getting regurgitated and walking afterward, like, don't stress that too much. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's it's worth calling out, too, right? Like, there is some truth to be said with, you know, like, again, like, we do see a lot of allegories, you know, throughout the scripture. And we do see, you know, it, it's always worth entertaining, you know, could this have been meant in a different way? I also think, you know, to your point, right, like a lot of the story of the Bible is miracles. You know, if you're going to accept that miracles exist, then there's an element of, you know, don't stress too much than worrying about the actual mechanics of how someone survived in a whale. Right, so, right. And and I'll maybe save this for a little bit later, but there's maybe even some interesting ways to kind of look into that whole survival element too, to a little bit differently. I guess maybe the first thing that I want to jump into just to help maybe get everything set off is Jonah himself. One of the things that, you know, as I started looking into Jonah that I almost started to find a little bit hard to believe is that Jonah, a prophet of God, would be like, no, God, I don't want to do this. <laughs> this guy is like, you know, when we think about people like in the, the Christian hierarchy, so to speak, the people that are far along on their journey we typically think people like prophets are like, like they're pretty leveled up, man. Like, like, like they know mm -hmm. their stuff. They have these really tight relationships with God. So one of the hardest things for me initially was, you know, this idea that Jonah, this guy who is like devoted to God so fully and is like a mouthpiece for God is just like, no, I'm not going to do it. And additionally, he thinks he can just get away from God. Like does he, like, how does he think that he can get away from God? Even like if, if that's his mindset, um, like how can he be a prophet of God thinking that he can just like hide in a boat? Right. Jonah's theology has to just be fascinating. What leads you to think that this would work out well? Yeah. Uh, and, and what was interesting, too, and this, so this kind of comes into the whole, you know, why does Nineveh matter? Why is Jonah hesitant to go to Nineveh? This is really good for a current political climate, too, because this is definitely uh, people on both sides of the aisle who love Jesus, but to meet each other would just hate each other. And Nineveh is basically that for Jonah. Like it's the main city of the Syrian people, or well, maybe it might have not been then. The strongest empire in the world thus far and and the most brutal for sure. I mean their MO was like, you know, raping, killing, and looting. And that's how they treated Israel as they conquered them. And then Jonah's called to go to them. So it seems like a little bit of animosity there would be an understatement. Yeah, exactly. I mean like in and not to you know do an unfair comparison of certain things, right? But it'd be like a Jew being told, I need you to go to Nazi Germany and tell these people to, you know, to repent. Just to kind of give mm -hmm. like a level of magnitude kind of comparisons. Like, hey, like, you, you know what these people did, though? Like what they do to Israel? What do these people do to the Jews? Like, and you want me to go to them and help save them? Yeah. So I, I think it's a very strong, like you can maybe understand first off why that's the case. Um, peeling the onion a little bit, too. I think there's this element of, 
you know, at that time, the idea of God's salvation going beyond the Jews is, you know, maybe, maybe that's part of Jonah's mindset, right? It's like, Hey, we're your chosen people, right? Like you can't, we can't go saving everybody. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And it was an interesting article I was reading about this, where it was saying, you know, that, that narrow view that could have existed and that was prevalent at the time, which is maybe one of the things that Jonah is being written to address, right? Is God's salvation extending beyond just the Jews and going to, you know, um, Syria and kind of that, therefore that parallel with Jesus and the salvation going to the Gentiles. He has that narrow view that might also explain why he can't imagine that God would be outside of Israel. If I flee Israel, then God's not going to be, you know, out in the middle of the boat in the ocean, right? God is in Israel. Like that's, that's where God hangs out because we're his chosen people. And that was an interesting way to be like, oh, like that kind of makes sense as to why then somebody who was really devoted to God, but maybe had a distorted view of how God operated. Uh, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, maybe I can get away from God because, you know, obviously God's just going to hang out in Israel all the time. So that's really interesting to hear that. I've kind of thought or have read some things in the other, what a pretty opposite side of the camp where Jonah's mad that um, God's making him go because Jonah knows that God is merciful and God's going to forgive them. And I think even later, after God takes mercy on the people of Nineveh, Jonah says something to the effect of like, you've always been this way. You're always this way, God. And like a frustrating tone. And that's Mm because Jonah's been through that too. Like God also forgave Israel right after, right after on the mountain, they see his presence on the mountain that Moses went up. And then they proceed to make golden calves, performing for, uh, fertility rituals. God doesn't show partiality in his mercy. And so I think in some way, Jonah, as broken as his theology is, might have also known that if I go and do this, they could turn around and God's going to take mercy on them. And I don't want these people to have God's mercy. Like, oh, I hate sure. them. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think that's a that's a powerful driver for Jonah. So I think I think that's one interesting element of his character. And, and as I said, I think... I think we can between those two fear of going to Assyria and also like that, that contempt for Assyria. Mm. I think that explains why he wouldn't want to go, even though he's really close with God, right? Because at the end of the day, we're all people, like we're all men, women, like we're we all have these earthly bodies that are prone to sin and prone to our own selfish desire. So sometimes it's easy for us to view characters in the Bible as like a prophet and be like, oh, they must be perfect. But God really goes out of his way, actually, in all the biblical stories mm. to really show that no, you know. No one's perfect but me. Very true. And in a lot of ways, it's meant to be comforting, right? Exactly. Like I look at Jonah as like, okay, maybe I maybe there is something I can do. Because I, his his whole sermon is five words that he gets in Nineveh. And he doesn't even mention God in it. And part of it because he's just really salty, right? So it's <laughs> like, you ever worry that you don't have the right words? And so you're not sure you should say anything? He just had like none, but God used it. And he used it really well and it's one of my favorite parts about the book is basically god plays a trick on jonah jonah was basically told to warn the city but all he says is going to be overthrown he doesn't mention they should turn from wicked ways he doesn't even mention god but i ran into something really fun and i hope you like word play because this is a little bit of that <laughs> so the hebrew word used by jonah for destruction is hapak and it means to destroy something or something turn from something else he's like god you have hapaked my grief to joy or like, oh man, my car was hapaked, it was destroyed. Mm-hmm. Or a world record was hapaked, meaning it was like overturned. It was like in, a new record was made. Yeah. Jonah, of course, obviously meant like the version of destruction, right? When he said hapak. Yeah. And then God uses the different meaning of the same word to turn the city around. I'm converting uh-huh. around. So he used the <laughs> same word in a different meaning. And 
that's also probably why Jonah got really huffy too, and just you know basically stonewalls God later. But yeah, <laughs> I love reading about that kind of stuff. It's like no, that's exactly the kind of thing that encourages me. And that's a really good point too, right? Because I think some people wouldn't really read Jonah and they get concerned like, well, God, if God prophesies that they were going to be destroyed, then how can God change that? It's a prophecy. And as you said, right, it's like, well, like it's still, it was still true. They still had like this change, this turn. Uh, it just wasn't in the way that maybe Jonah wanted initially or how he first interpreted it. Mm, that's a really good point. Man, I didn't think about it that way too. The way to fulfill prophecy, it's, it, mm -hmm. it always comes true. So I think, for me, at least, that's the first part of like, so understanding Jonah's motive was important. I think when, when you look at kind of why people think that Jonah as a book was written later, another thing that comes up frequently is that there's a lot of Arimathean words in Jonah, which typically, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of historians will say this puts it, you know, at a later time frame. Um, and that it kind of fuels the fire for a late dating of Jonah. Mm -hmm. I won't go into all the details here. But just to say that it's it's interesting, You'll it's very common to read things like on Wikipedia and see something that says most modern scholars agree. And it's easy to kind of let that dishearten us as Christians because, I mean, mm. it sounds like there's a consensus. It sounds like there's certain things are fictitious or they don't, they're not true. And I'm not saying this as a way to kind of say don't believe science. <laughs> but I am saying as a way like part of science is double clicking and looking into the facts and seeing what's going on. And there's a lot of really interesting research out there, like you can see where it's like that a lot of that's been kind of either revised or taken back or people find other explanations as to why that language isn't a problem. One of the really mm. interesting things is that some of the main areas where that language is used in Jonah is around the sailors, um, what the sailors say to Jonah and what Jonah wow. says to the sailors. And at that time period, it wouldn't be weird for the sailors to be speaking Arimathean. So is it is it therefore now then is it really weird for the piece to have that word those words in there if it's just representing the words that would have been spoken at the time? Eh, maybe maybe not. Right, that makes total sense considering Joppa, where they set off from, is a Philistine city. So it's I, I throw that out there just to say you know if if people want to do some deeper dives, I think you'll sometimes be surprised about there's a lot of actually in especially in the world of archaeology and in terms of like dating, there's a lot of mm. conflicting and torn data and, and different sides that want to kind of argue one way or the other. So it sometimes can be very misleading to re read an article and see where it says modern scholars agree, right? Like, and I can almost guarantee you that when you dive into the details, um, it's not going to be nearly as unanimous as you think it is. Especially in this case of Jonah, I found a number of resources that really helped kind of list the, the different reasons why people had a later dating. And as mm -hmm. we'll talk through a few more of these throughout this uh, conversation today, a number of them don't have as rock solid of a, a standing as some people think. Mm. That's an astute point on the dating, especially, because if you pick up like any other prophetic book besides Jonah, you'll see that prophets always are dated pretty specifically. Isaiah has multiple times where it says in the year that King such and such died, or Jeremiah will talk about Came, the Lord the Lord came to him in the days of King such and such and um, mm -hmm. and Micah and Amos like there's a lot of different prophetic books that are really pointedly pick points where it can date itself but unless I'm wrong and I'm pretty sure I'm not Jonah makes no efforts to place itself historically the only named character in the book is Jonah even yeah. the king in Nineveh goes unnamed right so there's yeah. no names other names to go by so it's really hard to do that Okay, now I was going to hold this for a little bit, but I'm going to bring it now because it's a good timing for it. So 
what is interesting, if, if I wanted to try and put a date on things, what we do have is um, the Assyrian Empire actually used to keep track of kind of like yearly documents from the empire. Mm. And it would be very, very short and sweet. Like it's like one sentence summaries of the year. Like this year, this emperor, he invaded this place. Done. <laughs> okay. And, Just to and the point. <laughs> you can tell and, their priorities uh, lied. <laughs> and they're called like Limu or like L-I-M-M-U. I'm probably totally mispronouncing that. But it's like every year of the empire. And Assyria, being a very war-hungry empire, you know, has decades and decades of nonstop invading other people. Mm. What's very interesting is right during this time frame where Jonah, because we do have Jonah dated, Jonah as a prophet, right, is dated, uh, has a time frame that he exists in based on, um, oh, was it Second Kings? Second Kings. This is about 8th century, I believe, because the reign of Jeroboam II Jeroboam, or something like yeah. that, like so 700s. We know approximately where Jonah is supposed to be. So, but in that kind of time frame, like later half of Jonah's life, there is a very miraculous thing that kind of happens among these Assyrian updates, which is after like 41 years of nonstop fighting, the king just decides to stay in his land, which is a very interesting thing. And you're like, well, when, so 41 years before that, the king stayed in the land. What, what caused that? And the one before that was caused by the fact that it was actually an elderly king that died. And that was the year they didn't go anywhere. Oh, I see. So before that, okay. it was even more years of nonstop fighting. So it's really interesting that right around this time where Jonah was going to be alive, Assyria, the super war hungry state where it's like nonstop invasions all the time, um, just suddenly the king just decided to stay home. I don't know. There's, to me, that has some pretty compelling uh, connections to make to the whole story of Jonah and kind of that repentance of the city. Now mm, things lined up so well. That's interesting. I'll also say this kicks off a whole period for Assyria called the period of stagnation. I won't get into all of this, but basically like you can think of like Assyria as like literally the, the country that fights every single year. And then after this kind of period of they decide to stay home, they only go to war eight out of 23 years in the following period. And what's interesting is there's like, and I, I promise I'll stop after this. <laughs> there's a period where, you know, they stop going to war and then they go to war again a few couple times. And then they suddenly suffer from all these revolts and plagues and there's like an eclipse. And it's like there's all these crazy bad things that happen to them after they start going to war again. It's easy for us to project a narrative onto that that lines up with Jonah. But it's an interesting fact that, you know, we can we can look at this archaeological history of Assyria and see some possible connections with the stories of Jonah. I do like the record. That's really helpful, too. It's always nice if you can like an extra biblical resource that can kind of line things up for you a little bit, especially in this one where the, you know, dating is ambiguous, even if we're not sure how important the dating is to us, because you brought up about, you know, how the king had finally been staying kind of behind this concrete out is that, uh, and the book where Jonah prophesied to a king in Nineveh, but Nineveh wasn't the capital of Assyria until I think, um, no, uh, I can't pronounce the name if I found it, uh, Sennacherib moved it there from Ashur beginning of the 7th century and then greatly increased its size, which means Jonah would have placed the prophecy like sometime toward the middle of the 6th century, not the 8th century that the Bible talks about in 2 Kings. So it's just, there's resources all over the place that kind of point to different places, which is like, it's not like it's way far off, we're talking like thousands of years or anything, but 
That's a good point to call out. I think another thing to bring up, though, and, I, and this is stuff I didn't know about at all about Assyria until I started digging into this. If you look through Assyria's history, sometimes they go to war with other countries. There's a lot of revolts, though, internally within Assyria. There's a lot of power mm -hmm. struggles and a lot mm -hmm. of changing power seats and a lot of different people being in charge. Maybe not the official capital change, but there is a lot of like rising generals who are becoming more powerful and kind of maybe the ones in yes. charge, but not officially. And so I think it's an interesting point to make that Jonah as an outsider might not really be fully aware of like who's actually running all of Assyria. But what he knows is that there's a really powerful person calling the shots in Nineveh. Maybe that makes sense to say king of Nineveh. Don't know. Um, That's very it just, true. It just yeah. adds to the confusion around Assyria sometimes given how dynamic and how kind of ruthless their own internal politics were that, yeah, from, makes it hard to be like, it's not like the, um, like the Roman Empire where it's like a very like, here's the emperor, right? And everyone follows the emperor. Mm -hmm. there's a lot of power struggles i guess it's i guess there was power struggles in rome though too so <laughs> maybe maybe not that hard to uh compare the two i think it gives kind of a good snapshot of or an idea you know the story of jonah being a real thing or not that explains one of the aspects of it i think it also just goes to show that you know sometimes when and this is kind of completely aside like independent of the story of jonah but just to say that with any of these bible stories like one of the things i love about apologetics and digging into things is you get to learn all this really cool stuff. <laughs> and uh, and like so I, that's why I just encourage people to do their own research and talk to friends about this kind of stuff because there is a certain richness that comes into your life as you get to kind of dive into all of these details. And I understand that that comes with a certain amount of anxiety for some people because mm -hmm. it could be that they read things that are challenging their worldview and that can be scary and, and, and unsettling. Understand that as we try and pursue the truth, and as we try to pursue learning things, you're going to encounter some of these. You, you might have some wrong worldviews that are going to kind of get disturbed. and You might have to kind of pivot and shift how you're thinking about things. There is kind of a reward that comes out of all of this. And I've never been disappointed in any of my deep dives um, as I try to learn more about the world and about the, the, the controversies that exist around the Bible. It's really good to be sensitive to recognize that. Thanks. This is really meant to be an encouraging thing, even if you do feel challenged or feel your world where you rocked a little bit. That is a good thing. It's where growth happens, and it's where we learn learn so much more through that well than a lot of other things that kind of get spoon fed to us. Um, mm -hmm. So embrace that, uh, celebrate that. That's good. It's a good thing. So I guess I guess we have been ignoring the whale in the room, which is just to say that you know I think I think so, something that strikes a lot of Christians early on is just this thought of how can how can Jonah survive in a whale? And we, and we mentioned at the very start of the, the podcast that if you believe in miracles, first off, then it shouldn't be any stretch of imagination to think about how God could preserve somebody inside a whale. I, I did want to talk about one other element of that, just to kind of throw a different way to look at it. Because I think for me, there was always been, there's always been a disconnect between Jonah's in the whale, Jonah comes out of the whale and says a few things, and then the whole city converts. And that's always mm -hmm. seemed a little bit weird to me. I was reading this article, though, which talked about it really in two ways. So like, well, well, thing one, imagine you're on the shores, you know, or you're out, you're out at the shore and you see this whale come up and it just spits a guy out. And then the guy says, repent. <laughs> that's pretty compelling. <laughs> and you're going to tell everybody like that's pretty. If you can imagine yourself being in that situation, how compelling of a story is that? Yeah, I would think that would uh, that would convince me of at least something about this person. I would I would expect back then with, you know, a a polytheistic group like that would have thought Jonah was some kind of god, like of the sea or something, that a fish, <laughs> you know, brought him safely to us and start worship worshiping the fish that barked him up or something. <laughs> exactly. 
so so first off, that was like, okay, I can now understand why people could where Jonah's minimal words like have more impact than why he could just kind of stroll in and have a big impact on the whole community. Again, not that not that it had to have the whale to do that either, right? Like God can move people as he needs to. But but the other thing that kind of I read as I was going through, which never struck me until like just now, here in my 38th year of life, was someone was saying, well, what if Jonah died and God resurrected Jonah? But the idea being that, yeah, like he God resurrected him. So he didn't live in the whale, like he died, and then he got resurrected. And there's analogies, right, that Jesus makes to Jonah. And obviously then with Christ's resurrection, like there is, that becomes a more direct comparison between the two. Um, but it just, it was this whole different, I don't know, for me, it was like a, a moment where I was like, oh, I didn't even think about that. I'd always been told, you know, one specific story. And as I did a little bit of research, it's like, well, yeah, like I could see, I could see how you could interpret the Bible, how you interpret the book of Jonah as mm. Jonah died and was resurrected. And that would also be a very compelling reason for people to say, oh man, I'm going to listen to this guy. Um, I throw that out there just to say, I think I wouldn't let yourself get too discouraged just because you can't wrap your head around a guy being swallowed by a fish. Again, if you have a miraculous guy that can do miraculous things, I think there's lots of reasons for it. Other thing I want to call out, though, is, and again, this maybe ties into my earlier comment of worldviews, which is just to say, you know, sometimes we get really stuck into one way of thinking and we can't imagine any other answers. And some of that comes from how we're raised and the stories we're told by, you know, just our parents or by our church. And part of this podcast is also to say, like, you know, it's okay to kind of see, like, what are other people saying and what are some other ways to view this? Um, because sometimes there are multiple good ways to read it, um, even if maybe that's not necessarily the way that's 100% aligned with what your family believed or what your denomination believes. Um, there are other valid Christian ways to interpret certain texts. Absolutely. And I mean, we're probably guilty of this, you know, in this podcast, too, is we have as much as we try not to, we have our own worldview and bias that leads into bias. And, you know, we try to avoid it the best we can. And that's the reason for this podcast and the reason for the research we do into each episode. And then, you know, we connect a little bit before we have an episode to kind of see where each of us are going and see, you know, if we're stretching a different direction or not. Um, because it is, it's a good thing to do. The hard part is recognizing when you are doing it, when you are coming from a specific direction that just puts blinders on you and you don't see another way to look at a passage or to take in other resources that can really expand your view of something. This is a perfect point of that. I hadn't also had not considered that Jonah would have died at some point during that process, which makes complete logical sense that someone would die going through digestive tract of a large animal and that, you know, he would be revived later on. And it also kind of colors different parts of the text differently for me too. Like Jonah talks so much about death for he himself wants to die. Like he asked the sailors to throw him off the boat. He does not know a fish is going to come and eat him. He just wants to die. He wants to escape. He wants to not do this so much that he'd rather die. And later on in the passage, when he's angry about the plant that was giving him shade, it's gone. And God's like, oh, how does that make you feel? And kind of God, the therapist with him there. Yeah. <laughs> and he says, yeah, it makes me feel that I wish I was dead. It pays interesting kind of color to that. If I imagine that, you know, maybe Jonah did die and was resurrected at one point. I'm sure he was aware of that if that did happen to him. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I appreciate that point. No, and I think, and I think that's a good point to call out to, right? Is like, as we see Jonah, you know, go through this whole story, jo Jonah is having all these very human, very real reactions and God is, doesn't abandon him. God is seeking him and still earnestly and using him. So 
I think we all deal with certain dark feelings and emotions and and sometimes it can seem very overwhelming. Um, but but God's still there for you. He'll send you a fish to drag you where he thinks you've got to go. <laughs> I think um, to do a little bit more good due diligence, as we mentioned, you know, taking the perspectives and everything. Just real quick, I'd like to hit on the other side of Jonah as if it were not um, a real thing and more of just a story and some mm-hmm. of the points for that. I think the biggest one that comes up is just about everything in the story is um, exaggerated or hyperbolic. There's a huge fish, or in Hebrew, the sailors even say, like, fear a great fear. Or Nineveh is a large city that takes days to walk across, which was not true of any city at that time. Um, and even later when it talks about the people wearing sackcloth, the livestock wear sackcloth. Like, there's a lot of elements to it that are meant to be, like, over the top and silly, which wasn't very common for a lot of Hebrew literature. It's kind of like, you know, think of it like Star Wars, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Those words are just exaggerated and to tell us it's fictional. And it's also like one of the only stories, I think, unless I'm wrong, in the Bible that uses anthropomorphism or anthropomorphizes like inanimate objects. Like the ship is said to get considered breaking up as if it had a mind of its own. That's also really uncommon in Hebrew literature. There's also a lot of Aramaic influence in it, um, which is also really odd that that would be found in like any kind of Hebrew um, text as well, caring about the vine more than Nineveh, just kind of wraps up the whole point of the story at that point. And so there are, there's a definitely a different way to look at Jonah too, whether or not you're going to buy it as being a true story or an allegory or a parable or whether or not Jonah's a real person for sure. And there's more debate about whether or not the actual story is true. Um, but there are those things out there. And I would encourage you, just like we do, if you want to read more about this, um, Tim Keller actually has a great book on Jonah, but it's written at a really approachable level. As this podcast, we try to do a little bit more than approachable. But as a bonus, Tim Keller actually is really well researched. He takes from a lot of great places, which means a bibliography on it also has great resources on a technical level. And so I'd encourage you to dive deeper in that. And there's a lot of stuff we didn't go over today that we could get into as well. And so I'll make one last point for everyone's benefit. Do your own work. Don't trust us. Don't just trust, you know, pastor at your church. We're going to trust those people, but do some work on your own and grow on your own. I want to do a totally unpaid advertisement for bestcommentaries.com. It's a really simple website where you just choose the book of the Bible you're working on or struggling with or just want more context on. And it will give you a bunch of commentaries on that book. And it does really well with non-biased ranking them um, with an algorithm that uses different reviews and scholarly inputs. And then it tags them. Are you here for like a technical level, more of a pastoral teaching level, or more of a devotional personal level? You're probably looking for technical. That's what we get into with the podcast. Um, but you read those reviews, get a better idea of, you know, which few you should look at. And they'd be a good place to get started. That's not really difficult research-wise to get into. Yeah. And that was, I mean, I, I was so happy when you showed me that resource because like that's something I hadn't even been aware of until you mentioned it. And like they, they, again, they, they kind of market themselves as the rotten tomato of common Bible, uh, biblical studies. And, yeah. and it's, it's very accurate. And I think it's a great resource just to even see what all is out there. One, one last thing I'll say too, just on my side, if, if you're interested to kind of read some other takes on the kind of archeological, you know, proof for Jonah. And I know um, Nick mentioned a couple things and there's actually some, some answers to that on this website that I found this armstronginstitute.org, which is uh, Institute for Biblical Archaeology. I'll put the links in the, the podcast notes. There's, there's some really interesting points there. Now, I'll, I'll add a disclaimer. 
which is that, you know, this Armstrong Institute, I'm, I'm, I haven't done a ton of follow through on all, like really how well vetted this institute has been from an academic standpoint. And looking into it a little bit, there kind of might be some, some, some cultish <laughs> um, backings. And that might, there may or may not be influencing the quality of work being done on the, on the site. So I just throw that out there to say, hey, I think this could be a good resource, but definitely approach with caution. And as mm -hmm. Nick said, do your own thinking, make sure you're kind of, kind of question everything and um, yep. don't let that stop you from trying to learn and research. Yep. Good rule of thumb for everything. I had a, an instructor in college always would say like, with any kind of resource, you can get good stuff out of it. You chew up the meat and you spit out the bones. Someone else was telling me, it's like, just make, get your milk, but from multiple cows. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, I don't know how that, <laughs> I, I get, I get uh, the image you're saying, but I don't know how that helps me. <laughs> oh, geez. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> All right. I think, I think at this point we've probably gone way over. Nick, it's been great talking to you about this. It, uh, any, any other final words before we close? No, it's a pleasure. Um, yeah, check the check the podcast notes. We'll make sure to include those links there. And um, yeah, engage with us on it. Ask us questions. Yep, have some good conversations, guys. Again, this has been the Misty Night Podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to Misty Night. Want to join in on the conversation? Join our community on Facebook and let us know what you thought of the episode or what other questions or topics you'd like to hear us address. We want to work and grow together with you. So join us next time as we take the next steps on this journey to understanding in a world of questions. Thank you.